Good morning from the Financial Times. Today is Friday, March 4th, and this is your FT News Briefing. Russian forces continued to lay waste to Ukrainian cities yesterday, and the U.S. announced new sanctions on oligarchs. Meanwhile, prices of global commodities like wheat and corn skyrocketed on supply fears, and big Western brands continued their mass exodus from Russia. It is as sudden as the entry into the market we saw more than 30 years ago. And I think it raises one more very interesting question. Which brands will take their place? I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. Russian missiles rained down on the Ukrainian port of Mariupol and the cities of Chernev and Kharkiv on Thursday. Meanwhile, Russian President Vladimir Putin said in a video address that he would never give up his conviction that Russians and Ukrainians are one people. As Putin vowed to press on with his war, U.S. President Joe Biden announced more sanctions on several Russian oligarchs and government officials. Here's the FT's U.S. political correspondent Lauren Fedor with more on that. This list of individuals who are facing these fresh sanctions runs more than 50 people. I'm not going to run you through every single one of them. But some of the biggest names include the Russian billionaire Alisher Uzmanov. Um, It also includes Dmitry Peskov, who's the Kremlin spokesman. Interestingly, these sanctions for a lot of these individuals uh, are pertaining not just to them, but to their families as well. So we see uh, as you go down the list, you'll see individuals who it's not just themselves, but their spouses, their children. And and the White House really wanted to put the squeeze on Putin and put the squeeze on people close to Putin. So can we expect more sanctions from Biden? It's definitely fair to say that there could be still more to come. In fact, the White House said yesterday uh, that this could just be the first set of sanctions against individual oligarchs. You know, it's also important to remember that we're just talking about the U.S., which is obviously significant and important. But the U.S. made these announcements in conjunction and shortly after similar sanctions were announced by the EU, by the U.K. government. Uh, So there's really a global coordinated effort here to crack down on a lot of these individuals. Lauren Fedor is the FT's U.S. political correspondent. Yesterday, three of the biggest global professional service groups announced their exit or suspension of business in Russia. They're the latest Western companies to flee the country in the wake of Moscow's invasion of Ukraine. The FT's Andrew Edgecliffe-Johnson is following this and has the details. What's happening this week is a very rapidly snowballing exit from Russia by major multinationals. We've seen this with companies as big as Exxon, BP and Shell. We've seen it through big brands like Apple and Google and Facebook, you know, curtailing their services in the country. But now you have companies that actually employ a lot of people in Russia. Accenture employed 2,300 people in Russia. It is firing every one of those people now and closing down its entire Russia operation. McKinsey and BCG are not going that far. They're suspending operations. They're saying, we're not going to take on new work in Russia. So I think what we're seeing is a real escalation now of anxiety among Western multinationals about the ability to do business in Russia right now. Edge, how much of this is just, you know, companies looking for good PR? I think I would frame it more as reputational risk, um, even that PR element. I think at the same time, there is a real consideration about 
can you practically do business in Russia anymore if the banking system is completely frozen, if you can't get your accounts there audited, if you may not be able to get any profits you're making in Russia out of the country, and if the ruble is devalued and interest rates have been whacked up to 20%. So I think it's a real mix of these practical considerations, a reading on the grim outlook for the Russian economy, which was you know, seen as a potential growth market just a month or two ago, and a reputational consideration that goes beyond the usual PR fluff. So this is obviously meant to show that these companies disagree with Russia's war in Ukraine and, you know, maybe even punish Russia. But, you know, are they actually hurting Russia or are they just hurting everyday Russians? This is a concern for a lot of companies that if they get this response wrong, they're not going to be harming Vladimir Putin. They're going to be harming the average Russian consumer. And I think a lot of companies have hesitated about what to do for that very reason. It depends an awful lot on the business you're in. If you are in the grain trading business or the oil business, it's a very different equation from if you're selling food and drink, for example, to the Russian people. And we're going to talk about the grain business in just a minute. But first, Edge, is this the end of an era? You know, what do you make of all these Western companies pulling back from Russia? I think we all remember what a moment it was when that first McDonald's opened in Moscow in 1990, or when Russians could finally buy Levi Strauss jeans on something other than the black market. This was seen in the West as a triumph of Western corporate capitalism. And it was very much encouraged by Western democracies. So the US State Department encouraged some of these moves into the Russian markets by Western brands, for example. But I think the exit we're seeing now, while it doesn't yet affect all of those brands, is as significant, it is as sudden as the entry into the market we saw more than 30 years ago. And I think it raises one more very interesting question, which is, if US brands are not available, then which brands will take their place? And my colleagues in Moscow have spoken to several people there who say, well, if we can't buy an iPhone, we're going to buy a Xiaomi phone from China instead. So I think this may create a very unexpected opportunity for Chinese brands to take the place of US brands instead. Thanks, Edge. Thanks, Mark. Russia's war on Ukraine is fueling a record increase in global commodity prices. It's affecting everything from oil to aluminum to coal. Gas prices are at a new record high. And wheat is jumping too. To explain what's going on with food supplies, I'm joined by our commodities correspondent, Emiko Terrazono. Hi, Emiko. Hi, Mark. How are you? I'm doing well. So how bad are the supply problems relating to wheat and other grains because of the war in Ukraine? So, Mark, this is pretty serious. All the ports um, where grain is loaded from Ukraine are closed. And Russia also has its main grain ports in the Black Sea, which is essentially closed as well because um, there are no vessels that are going in and out. So grain flows from both Russia and Ukraine are virtually halted. So which importer countries are being affected the worst? So both Ukraine and Russia send a lot of their grains to the Middle East, to North Africa, and 
especially South Asia. And a lot of these countries are already struggling with food insecurity. Some of them have stocks, inventories like Egypt, but you know, uh, countries like Lebanon, Libya, Syria, they all rely on wheat from Ukraine and they are going to struggle. So Emiko, if commodities from Russia and Ukraine continue to be blocked because of the war, uh, what are the alternative sources of supply? So EU is a big um, supply source, as is the US, Brazil and China for wheat. Argentina is uh, an exporter as well. But the problem has been that um, last year, a lot of these countries have been hit by drought. Um, Australia is supposedly having a fantastic harvest. But my colleagues there tell me that a lot of the supplies are uh, now contracted out. So there's very little spare that's going to be able to go around. So, Emiko, what are the political implications for countries that depend on these imports from Ukraine and Russia? I think political instability is the greatest fear. When you have a shortage of food, it tends to act as a trigger for things like riots and unrest. 07 and 08, the food crisis and food shortages led to widespread riots and protests in more than 40 countries around the world. And in 09-10, you had the Arab Spring. Now, it wasn't all down to food prices, but it's just another thing that could lead to instability. Emiko Terrazono is the FT's commodities correspondent. Thanks, Emiko. Thanks, Mark. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back next week for the latest business news. The FT News Briefing is produced by Fiona Simon and me, Mark Filipino. Our editor is Jess Smith. We had help this week from Peter Barber and Gavin Coleman. Our executive producer is Tover Forges. Gerald Brumley is the FT's global head of audio. And our theme song is by Metaphor Music. 